morning, we want to turn uh, our attention to preaching, to the preaching of God's Word. But before we do that, I'm not going to have a video, but I do want to talk to you about a classic Christmas movie called Tron. I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, um, but it's a really great explanation of Jesus and how he can, I'm just teasing. If you weren't here last night, that joke just went. But if you were here last night, maybe you got it. But when I think about the Christmas story, I often think about visitors. That's kind of a theme for the holiday season. Many of us, uh, maybe you're a visitor this morning, maybe you go and you visit family, maybe you're welcoming in visitors into your home. And we all know the story of the visitors at Jesus' birth, the wise men, the shepherds, even some of Jesus' own family. Jesus' own family were visitors that first Christmas. And what happens when visitors come over is usually potentially awkward conversations with uh, uncles and cousins and people you don't really talk to a lot, but you have these kind of conversations around the table. And this morning, I wanted to talk about one conversation in the life of Jesus with a visitor that happened not on Christmas morning, but a little later in his life between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And that conversation can be found in the book of John at chapter 3. Verse 1 through 17. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me this morning. We're going to read it here. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, Nicodemus said. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will then you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one who has ever gone into heaven except for the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes him may have, may have eternal life in him. And then one of the most famous passages in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but... To save the world through him. Now, that's one of those conversations Jesus has with people where he kind of catches them off guard. And this morning, I, I think a lot about Nicodemus in those moments. Because I think most people in our world are like Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus is a man who has it all figured out. He knows all the answers Look at what he said when he first came to Jesus, right? He came to him at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if it were not with him. 
Nicodemus, like I said, comes to Jesus like many of us, especially if you've been a Christian for any amount of time. We come to Jesus thinking we already know all the answers. We know you're a teacher from God. But, Jesus, but Nicodemus doesn't just know all the answers. He knows how the world works. He knows how the world works socially, politically. Notice he came to Jesus, it said, at night. Jesus was a, uh, a figure who was garnering a lot of attention during this time. It would have caused Nicodemus a lot of problems to be seen meeting with Jesus. So Nicodemus knows how to do things, so he comes and he visits Jesus at night. And I think most people in our city this morning think they have it figured out too. Sure, there's some people gathering in churches, but most people in our city think they know what Christmas is about, right? It's about getting together. They know how the day is supposed to go. We get some gifts, we eat some food, we watch some football. Maybe this morning you're here and you think you've got Jesus all figured out. Maybe you, you grew up in church and yeah, you know the story. But the Jesus thing is just kind of something that your parents do, right? You know, I'm visiting, I'm in town, so I'm just going to go with my parents. But I don't let Jesus have really any entanglements in my life. I'm not going to really let Jesus affect my life in any way. Perhaps this morning, all of us could put aside everything that we think we know about Jesus. And maybe we could let him explain to us what his life is really all about. Perhaps he could tell us what that means for you and for I in a weary and tired world. And I think if we can do that, we might join Nicodemus in some of his wonder at the answers Jesus gives him. Remember, at the beginning, he comes to Jesus and he says, we know you are a teacher from God. But later down in verse 9, he says really quick, how can these things be? And Jesus is going to blow Nicodemus's mind, as I believe he wants to do for all of us this morning. In this conversation, Jesus is going to share the motivation behind all that he has come to do. Last night, Matt laid out all the things, why the programmer had to become the program, why Jesus had to come in flesh. And this morning, I want to talk about why. What motivated Jesus to do this? And to do that, I want to look at that famous verse right there in the middle of that passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, to be honest, the last few years have been some of the most apocalyptic years that I can remember living through. And by apocalyptic, I don't mean like the end of the world, although there were points in times when it might have felt like it was the end of the world. But by apocalyptic, I mean what the Greek word means, and it means an uncovering, a revealing. I don't know if you felt this way, but the past few years have revealed a lot about our country, about the systems we live in, maybe about our own families, maybe about our churches, and perhaps maybe even some of our own motivation. You see, Christmas morning in itself is an apocalypse. It's a revelation of God's great love for the world. And how would God 
reveal his love for the world, how would he do that? How would God say, world, I love you? He sent his son, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. He sent his son into a world full of darkness and brokenness, not to condemn it, like many of us are quick to do, but instead to shine a light so that the entire world might be redeemed. For God so loved the world. The apocalypse is that God loves this world so much that he would send his own son to redeem it. That there isn't one square inch of this world that God is not radically invested in. And I wonder sometimes if we look at our own world the same way. Do we look at it as though every square inch of it is something that Christians should be invested in and loving? I think sometimes we're tempted, as Matt talked about last night, not to love the world so much, but to see it as an enemy. To think that, well, God can't really love this world. It's such a disgusting place. God only cares about, like, the spiritual world somewhere out there that we can't really see or touch. That Christianity is just like a private, spiritualized thing between me and God, and it has no impact on the rest of the world. But Christmas is the revelation that there is nothing further from the truth than that. For God so loved the world. God is involved in the ecology of our planet. He is invested in the systems that we create as human beings to interact with one another. He cares about how powerful people treat vulnerable people. He cares about things like war. He cares about issues like race and poverty and power and abuse and hunger and class and economics. Nothing is beyond his care. Every square inch. And some good news this morning is that his love for the world is so expansive, it's so huge, it's so grand, that he might care about all those things that seem so big and complicated and overwhelming, but he even cares about you. So that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. God wanted to reveal, right, the apocalypse of his great love for the world, but he also wanted to reveal his great love for you this morning. In maybe the most profound way he could say it, he says, I'm sending my son to you so that you might partake in eternal life. That's why we gathered together last night. That's why we gathered together this morning. To do what? To remember God's great love for us as individuals revealed at Christmas. I really struggle not to use this cliche, but it's almost unavoidable. Jesus is the greatest gift you can receive at Christmas. I know that might feel strange, kids, teenagers. It might feel strange, right, to hear Jesus is a great gift. But you're like, well, it's not as great as that gaming system that I can like plug in and actually like interact with and play and have fun and enjoy. And I think if teenagers, your parents are honest with you, sometimes as adults, it might feel that way, that Jesus is an incredible gift given to us. 
But sometimes he feels like kind of like the fog, the mist on the horizon that you just can't really get a hold of. But there's nothing further from the truth. He's so real that he literally came to earth. The embodiment of reality came to earth. A son. And he would come to earth to be near us. And what does he want to do? He wants to set us free from all the sin, all the stuff that so easily entangles us and trips us up. And yeah, it is a challenge sometimes to sense his nearness and his closeness. But if we could just do this, if we could just for a moment turn our focus onto him and take a few moments to fight through the clutter of life and the holidays, we might find ourselves surprised by how close he actually is. So I wonder this morning as we've gathered together, would you be willing to admit that maybe there's more to Jesus than you think? Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Maybe you're willing to say, you know what, maybe I, maybe I don't know how it's supposed to go. Maybe some of us in this room, you're coming into the end of 2023 and you're like, you're limping in. It's been a hard year. And you're thinking, yeah, I, I know how this goes. My family's broken. I'm broken. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. I know how it goes, Jeremy. I've, I've lived this life, um, whatever, 40, 50, 30, 12. I, I, I know how things are supposed to go. It just it never works. It's always pain and brokenness. There's always hurt. Maybe this morning, as we turn our attention on Jesus, you can be surprised. Or maybe you're coming in and you may be like Nicodemus a little more and you think you know. Yeah, I've been a Christian for this many years. I know Jesus. I know how this works. I do my church thing. I do my small group thing from time to time. Maybe you could come and be amazed at God's great love revealed for you. And maybe he has a plan for both of those people. Maybe he has a plan for 2023 for our church, for our families, for ourselves that would leave us at the end of 2023 saying, how can this be? How could it be that, God, you would love me so much that you would send your son for me? God, how could it be that in a world where the poor and the vulnerable are often crushed and disposed of, you want me to love them and care for them? How could it be that you might ask me to forgive that person who hurt me all those years ago? Lord, how could it be that you would heal this relationship that just seems like it can't be saved? Lord, how could you heal this wound that is in me that just, at this point, it just feels like it's a part of my life and it's never going anywhere? It can be <laughs> this morning because of Jesus. That's the wonder of Christmas, that even in the middle of all the pain and confusion of ugliness and confusion, Jesus has come to us. That God would love us and want to be near us. 
if we could even get a, a mustard seed, like a tiny little glimpse of that, it would change your life. That the one who we celebrate and sing about today is the embodiment of God's love for the world and to you this morning. Now, here's the challenge. To the extent that we can welcome him into our life, not as a visitor who pops in a couple times a year, but as the savior of the entire world, the king of the world given for you, to the extent that we can receive him that way, we will become human beings fully alive. We will become people of love. He wants to help. He wants to save. He wants to heal. He wants to mend. The band's going to make their way up. And one way that we can do that, one way that we can draw our attention and our focus onto the Jesus that we celebrate this morning is by confessing who we believe Jesus to be. 